Hello and welcome, or maybe I should say hola y bienvenidos, to a new When in Spain episode with me, Paul Birch, your host for this podcast. Thank you for listening wherever you are around the world. I think uh, we had a check the other day and I think there are listeners now in 154 countries around the world. I don't know what percentage of countries that is. I don't know how many countries are there in the world. I'm not sure. 170? Um, but wherever you are, I hope you're well. And thank you for deciding to transport yourself to Spain. In this episode, as you've probably guessed from the title, I'm going to be taking you off on a little sight and sound tour of the royal court town, well, city, I suppose, small city of Aranjuez, which is about 30 kilometres south of Madrid right on the border almost with the community of Madrid and Castilla-La Mancha. Really beautiful town, uh, famous for its royal palace. In fact, it was a spring retreat for many, many centuries for the monarchs of Spain who enjoyed it for its lush green valley and hunting grounds, which I'll talk about in a bit more detail in the episode. So I'm going to be walking us around Aranjuez. I'm going to be looking at the palace, the beautiful grand boulevards and squares, which kind of remind me of a miniature Paris. A little bit later in the episode, I'll be taking you off to one of my favourite, really traditional castizo, as they say, tabernas, I suppose, for a drink and something to eat. We get all the sounds from that place and I'll describe what's going on in there and what's on the menu. And then at the end of the episode, I'll be walking us around the Jardín del Príncipe, the huge royal garden, which I think is actually one of the largest, if not the largest, in Europe or even the world. I'll also be recounting some curious stories about about Aranjuez, uh, one related to strawberries and trains, <laughs> and also talking about how Aranjuez was the inspiration for a very well-known piece of modern Spanish classical music. So stay tuned for all of that. At the very beginning of the episode, I'm also going to be giving a little rundown of the Cercanías light rail train system, uh, which you have in Madrid, which is a really useful way of getting out of the centre of the city, around the region of Madrid, to little towns and villages and some notable places of, I suppose, touristic interest. Um, so I'll be talking about that. In fact, the Cercanías train, the light rail network, um, is really really easy to use. It's very affordable. It's designed for commuters who live in the outer towns around Madrid. But also, uh, most biggish cities in Spain have a Cercanías light rail system, and they're really useful. I think Malaga has one, Valencia certainly has one, uh, Barcelona, of course, which I think is called Rodieles up in uh, up in Barcelona in Catalan. But these light rail systems are really useful. So you'll join me at the beginning of the episode in a very loud um, Atocha train station, where I'll be giving a little bit of uh, information about the Cercanías train system and where you can get to by using it. And I'm thinking what I might do over the coming months is put a couple of episodes together about these places which are worth visiting, which are easily accessible from the centre of Madrid using the light rail train network. So I might intersperse the episodes where I have guests and interview-based episodes. I might intersperse them over the coming months with a little uh, getaways around Madrid, as I don't have any uh, other trips planned uh, around other parts of Spain, but I thought it might be interesting uh, for you guys, the listeners. 
So as always, just before we get into the meat of the podcast, I suppose, I would just like to say a really, really big thank you to new When in Spain patrons who are Rob Green and Keely Moran. Muchisisisimas gracias to Rob and Keely for deciding to sign up and support the podcast, basically, by becoming When in Spain patrons. So really appreciate that. Thank you to you two. And really, big thank you to all patrons who continue to support this podcast. Because really, you guys give me the precious gift of time, I suppose, by making your monthly pledges, which makes it possible for me to independently produce this podcast when in Spain. So if you do enjoy the podcast, and maybe you've been thinking about it for a while, (laughs) um, and you'd like to support the work I do in bringing it to you guys, please do consider becoming a patron. It's easy to do. You just head across to the crowdfunding website, patreon.com forward slash when in Spain and you can sign up at various donation tiers there. Anyone who decides to pledge at $5 or more gets access to bonus when in Spain content. Incidentally, patrons, I made a little video of my walk around Aranjuez. So if you want some visual content of the things I'm talking about in the podcast, um, patrons, uh, keep your eyes open for a special video of Aranjuez. Okay then, so let's go to Spain, shall we? I love taking you guys off with me to different places in Spain. We're going to head off to Aranjuez. I'm going to hand myself over to myself in a very loud and busy Atocha train station. Vamos! So welcome to Atocha train station. Mentioned the train station quite a few times, I think, in previous episodes when I've been traveling by train to different parts of Spain. Not traveling as far afield today, heading down south to the town of Aranjuez, the royal town of Aranjuez, to have a look around, to look at the palace uh, in particular and the beautiful gardens. I'm getting there on the train, but I'm actually taking the Cercanías train. So this Cercanías network is basically a commuter light rail system which has numerous stations or interchanges in the centre of the capital, in the centre of Madrid, one of them being a Atocha train station. And the Cercanía system, pretty extensive, I think in total it's something like 370 kilometres of track, which sprawl out from the centre of Madrid like tentacles to really the extremities of the community of Madrid, north, south, east, west, and it connects lots of towns and villages, mostly commuter towns, I suppose, or satellite towns, you might call them. And it's heavily used. Uh, Each day, around 880,000 commuters use it to get in and out of the centre of Madrid from the outlying areas. But I wanted to talk about it because if you're in Madrid for any period of time and you want to get out and explore a few places out of the centre, the Cercanías light rail system is a really easy way to go and explore some of these places that otherwise you'd need a car for. For example, today I'm heading down to Aranjuez. It's about a 45-minute journey on the Cercanías. Other notable places which you might want to visit on a trip to Madrid that you can use the Cercanías to, to reach. As I said, we've got Aranjuez. You can also get to El Escorial, 
and the beautiful little town of San Lorenzo del Escorial as well. You can also visit the town of Alcala de Henares, home of Cervantes, and you can also get as far out as the town of Guadalajara. Guadalajara, I don't know if there's much there. I, I don't think I've ever been to Guadalajara. But anyway, you can get out there. It connects Terminal 4 of Barajas Airport. And you can also get out into the Sierra de Madrid, the Sierra Mountains uh, of Madrid to the north, in particular Villalba and Cercedilla. And from Cercedilla, you can catch another little connecting train to Neva Cerrada. Now, Neva Cerrada is Madrid's winter skiing destination. There's actually a ski station out in Neva Cerrada. So it gives you an idea of just how far out you can travel on the Cercanias network. There are numerous stations in the center of the capital interchanges. It's really well integrated with the main train stations and indeed the uh, metro system in Madrid as well. You'll find that using the Cercania system in the centre of the city, it's all underground, very similar to the metro. But as soon as you get out of the centre, all of the system is above ground. In terms of costs, really affordable to use. Obviously, I guess it has to be because it's a commuter train, but uh, we are going to use it for the purposes of tourism, so it's fantastic. And I'll give you an example. The ticket to Aranjuez, which is a 45-minute journey, uh, the return ticket costs €8.60. €8.60. A single ticket is €5. Euros. Really, really good value. buy your tickets there are ticket machines inside the station which is where I am now let's see okay so we're on the train see you in Aranjuez So, from the hustle and bustle of Atocha Station, here I am, standing right in front of the Royal Palace of Aranjuez. Beautiful palace. I have to say, there's something about Aranjuez that reminds me a great deal of, of Paris, actually. It's a kind of like a miniature Paris. Very wide, grand, tree-lined boulevards, gravel squares, arcaded squares. And the Royal Palace of Aranjuez, actually, it's got a kind of touch of Versailles about it. There's something very grand about Aranjuez, and you can tell that it's a city that was established for the royal court in the 15th century. So Aranjuez, it's uh, situated really in a valley between the Tajo and the Jarama rivers. A fertile valley which was part of its draw for royalty, which I'll talk a bit about in more detail a little bit later. And they say the name Aranjuez has its origin actually in the Basque language. The word Arancha, which is also a Spanish name or a Basque name, which is quite common. It comes from there. And that Arancha actually means hawthorn. I'm guessing at the time, because of the fertility of the land in this valley, there was a, an abundance of hawthorn. So that's where Aranjuez takes its name from. 
In fact, the Aranjuez Palace gardens became the site of Europe's most important collection of cultivated trees. There are huge gardens behind the palace, which I hope to explore a little bit later on. Aranjuez was declared a royal site for the Spanish crown in the late 15th century. And then for centuries, the kings and queens of Spain spent their spring months at the palace here, a spring retreat. And it was also a royal hunting ground. And interestingly, over the centuries, the royalty came not only for the beautiful landscape and the gardens in this lush valley and the palace, of course, but the site became an incubator for ideas, concepts, humanism, political centralization, and uh, the development of the urban lifestyle alongside the sciences during the Age of Enlightenment. And the Spanish royalty saw the land around Aranjuez as worthy of protection. Um, and even as they developed the palace, they tried to avoid any unnecessary destruction, and they conserved and enriched the environment, adding to its uh, natural and original diversity. So trees, as I said, were imported from America and Asia until they became the most important European collection from those different continents. Aranjuez actually later became famous for the production of strawberries and asparagus. And there's an interesting little story about strawberries and trains, which I'll talk about a bit later. So before I go walking, I've just arrived from the train station. It's about a 15 minute walk. The train station is not in the center of the town. Come out of the station, turn left, keep walking up a long, very attractive tree-lined avenue, and you will hit the palace where I am now. A bit of the background then uh, behind the town itself. So it was the first Spanish Habsburgs who established a Castilian court here in the centre of Spain and this became over time the regular residence of Emperor Charles V who subsequently became Philip II of Spain and he came up really with this idea of royal sites around the new capital of Madrid and the plan was that the court would remain in Madrid during the winter and it would embark on the uh, royal progresses the rest of the year. Aranjuez in spring, El Escorial in summer and La Granja in the autumn. In the 17th century, in order to show uh, his gratitude to the people of Aranjuez for their support during the War of Succession, Philip V uh, converted the town into a royal centre. He built parks, monuments, gardens, churches, uh, following the latest artistic trends of that time. So King Ferdinand VI and his wife Barbara of Portugal were deeply in love with the city. And during their Pacific reign, huge royal celebrations became the norm here. And then during the reign of uh, Charles III, the city became an example of an enlightened city. Public buildings were erected, theater, hospital, the convent of St. Pascual, and the Real Cortijo wine cellar. Well, that must have been an impressive collection of wine. The town reached its peak as the centre of the itinerant court during the reigns of Charles III and Charles IV. The period of Charles IV gave way to an atmosphere of darkness, failure of the Enlightenment ideas, and of course, the Napoleonic threat led to the mutiny of Aranjuez. The mutiny is probably the most significant historical event that's uh, ever happened in the site and really signified the end of the old regime. During the reign of Ferdinand VII, the royal progresses came back to life and in the reign of Isabella II, uh, Aranjuez enjoyed its last period of splendour and in the second half of the 18th century, uh, the palace was enlarged and the prince's garden was completed. 
In 2001, Aranjuez was designated a UNESCO World Heritage Site. And nowadays it's a fairly modern town, I suppose. Not physically, but uh, in, in terms of industry, chemical manufacture, metal products, textiles, fruit preservation, uh, and the breeding of horses as well. Uh, population, about 60,000 people. So let me describe the palace while I'm standing in front of it for you. I think for me the most notable feature is the combination of this beautiful pink brick and then this beautiful white ivory-coloured stone, which actually comes from the town of Colmenar, not far away. Two domes on each side. One has a small clock. Um, it's about three storeys tall in the centre and it's got two wings on either side which have small, uh, little cloistered, white archways. The result of combining the traditions of Castilian houses, military traditions, it's got a little flavour of Italian villas and also a kind of Baroque style as well. It was Philip II who commissioned John the Baptist of Toledo uh, to build the royal palace in 1561 on the land of a former residence of the Order of Santiago. And it was planned to be a recreational residence for use in the spring, as I said, a spring retreat. Unfortunately, there was a fire in 1748 and Philip V decides to start reconstruction. And in fact, it was Ferdinand VI who eventually finished the construction with the help of an Italian architect called Bona Via, who's also responsible for a couple of other sites around Aranjuez as well. It was then Sabatini, also famous for the Sabatini Gardens in Madrid, next door to the uh, Royal Palace in Madrid. It was Sabatini who decided to extend the palace with the aim of accommodating the extended family of Charles III. And he enlarged it by adding two wings, two perpendicular wings to the main facade. And if you look, you will see a pediment which features the coat of arms of Ferdinand VI, over which statues of King Philip II, Philip V and Ferdinand VI can be seen. So I've just walked around the side of the palace, walking through its beautiful cloisters, um, and there's a huge square, gravel, open square, arcaded on two sides. And this is the uh, military parade ground, just across the square. And this is an interesting little story about Aranjuez is a railway stop called the Palace Stop, which is linked to the train station. This rail route was the second ever created on the Iberian Peninsula. It was inaugurated on February the 9th, 1851, and it linked Madrid to Aranjuez. And the other little curious story about that rail route is that it was used to transport fruit and vegetables to the capital. Specifically, it was used to transport strawberries and asparagus. Strawberries and asparagus, which grew in abundance and were cultivated here. And that train journey from Madrid, which I believe goes from the train museum in Madrid, right here to the palace stop in Aranjuez, still happens now between spring and autumn, and it's called the strawberry train, El Tren de Fresas. And it's a steam locomotive with the old wooden wagons. And on board, they serve, what else? <laughs> Strawberries 
from Aranjuez, served up on the carriages, and it's called the Strawberry Train, and you can book tickets to do that. So, five minutes walk from the Royal Palace is the beautiful square of St. Anthony, very noticeably designed in the Baroque style and designed by Bonavia during Ferdinand VI's reign in 1750. It actually links the Royal Palace with a kind of network of streets and other squares and arcaded walks that extends towards the south of the city. The square is surrounded by this beautiful gallery, arched cloisters and arcades. The, the gallery on the side closest to the palace is the House of Trade and the House of Knights. And their function was to maintain and administer the royal site and also provide accommodation for the royal retinue. Right in the middle of the square is the Fountain of Venus called Del Jarro and the fountain was made by González Velázquez. And legend has it that it originally faced the palace, but the queen ordered it to be turned looking towards the opposite direction as she saw in the goddess one of her husband's mistresses. <laughs> one of the goddesses which adorns the fountain reminded her of one of her husband's mistresses. What a funny story. And then dominating the square of St. Anthony, where I'm standing now, under the arches, by the big wooden door, which is closed, uh, the Real Capilla de San Antonio. It is a chapel. It was actually conceived as uh, the exit from San Antonio Square, Plaza de San Antonio, and designed again by Bonavia in 1752. And, uh, well, yeah, making a great show of his Italian origins. The Italian influence is clear to see. It's a circular structure covered with a spherical vault and has a large central kind of cylindrical uh, camera, I suppose. The main facade is protected by a, uh, a beautiful portico with marble steps, which is where I am talking to you from right now. It's got five semicircular arches and Tuscan pilasters, which gives way to a terrace on the top. Yep and is closed by a, a, a stone uh, balustrade. Really beautiful and it's interesting. So in the middle of the square, then you have the chapel looking out into the square. Each side of the square, these very small, narrow, cobbled uh, streets. You can probably just hear a stream of cars going up and down them. And the cars have to pass through on each side of the chapel, um, these little stone archways so the road runs right through these stone archways the first time i think i came to aranjuez this is the first spot i came to and it was at night and it was really really magical and it kind of gave me this impression of this is i don't know it reminded me of paris i guess it's just that royal grandeur yeah this square for me it's like a sort of miniature version of the place de la concorde or something like that One thing that you notice about the centre of Aranjuez are the three main boulevards which radiate out from the Royal Palace. Um, it's kind of a, a trident 
shape of three really attractive tree-lined uh, boulevards. They were designed in this way, really as a, a symbol of the absolute power of the monarchy over the area. Now, the three avenues, interestingly, take their names from the windows of the rooms where the kings and queens stayed in the palace. The Queen Path, the Prince Path and the Princess Path. A Calle Principe, which is where I'm standing now. There is a Calle de la Reina. And there is a Calle de las Infantas. All really attractive streets. The main boulevard in the centre of Aranjuez is the one I'm on now, which is Calle del Principe. And you will find restaurants and terrazas alongside under the trees. And the boulevards are quite wide. I think this is kind of why it gives me a sort of impression of a miniature Paris almost. And it's very low rise. These avenues are lined with quite humble looking actually, two-storey townhouses, uh, which would date back to the 17th century. They've got these beautiful faded uh, terracotta tiled roofs. So there are no tall buildings in Aranjuez. There's nothing that sticks out and it kind of gives it this very open green, feel to the to the town so it's 20 to 3 in the afternoon it's getting quite warm i've been doing quite a lot of walking and talking i'm gonna go and see if i can find a very traditional old-fashioned bar that i came to here oh i don't know two years ago with karina very castizo very old-fashioned so you know bull's heads on the walls i'm gonna see if i can find it i think it's called Casa Pablo. Just off this main street, we're going to make a little right turn and head down this little maze of narrow side streets off this main boulevard. And uh, let's see if I can take you guys in there and go and get something to eat. So, as you can probably hear from the background chit-chat, I found the uh, bar taverna that I was looking for. It's called Casa Pablo. Bar taverna. I'm sat in the front part, which is which is the bar. I've got three guys at the end of the bar. We're drinking red wine. It's a bit hot for me for red wine, so I've gone for a cold um, beer. This place is super traditional, founded in 1941. Um, as you look around the bar, um, we've got, of course, your obligatory legs of jamón hanging up behind the bar. You've got this really beautiful, intricate wooden bar back, full of bottles of all different types of uh, spirits. On the bar, we've got bottles of wine, huge bowls of olives uh, on the bar as well, and uh, a ginormous string of garlic hanging up in the corner with a, a Spanish flag ribbon tied around it. There must be about a hundred bulbs of garlic there. You can hear in the background that the sort of door keeps swinging open. It's because then in the back of the establishment there is actually what they call the comedor. It says in big letters on the glass above the door, comedor, which is the dining room. And there are people in there actually having more of a formal sit-down uh, meal. 
just to the uh, right of the door when you walk in is a huge bull's head huge bull with its horns and then all around the interior of the bar are photographs must be a hundred or more completely covering the walls photographs of um, well, bullfighters and photos of bullfights in action these must be famous bullfighters over the years there is a Plaza de Toros in Aranjuez of course which I'm not going to visit and then you've got this beautiful dark mahogany panelled lower below the photographs around the bar it's beautiful engraved with with uh, grapevine grapevine engravings on this beautiful dark mahogany panels at the end of the bar on the wall they've got a, a chalkboard a blackboard which says sugerencias de barra and this is the bar's recommendations and uh, wow it's divided there's a lot on the menu you've got seafood mariscos we've got raciones uh, rations of all sorts of different things and then we've got the wine list as well wow we've got so many things up there oysters crabs shrimps barnacles buñuelos de rape buñuelos de rape is like uh, monkfish fritters like little donuts with uh, monkfish we've got whole octopus pulpo entero a roasted uh, whole octopus galician style tuna tata got uh, ensalada de tomate de aranjuez which is the uh, aranjuez tomato salad with tomatoes from aranjuez tomatoes from aranjuez are actually uh, quite famous in a little wine and cheese bar near me in madrid they always going on about aranjuez tomatoes they always have this salad made from aranjuez tomatoes uh, tomatoes and they're always sort of very very proud of it uh, we've got steak tartare and we've got one of my favorites rabo de toro bull's tail it says al estilo tradicional traditional style bull's tail which i imagine is uh, kind of stewed Okay, so I am suitably refreshed. Just left Casa Pablo's. I opted for the uh, Buñuelos de Rape, the monkfish fritters. Absolutely delicious, light and crispy. And, uh, well, as I speak to you now, I'm at my final stop, which is the Prince's Garden, El Jardín del Príncipe. Now, there are many gardens around the centre of Aranjuez. I would say if you're visiting for the first time, the one that's really worth exploring is the Prince's Garden. It is enormous. You could spend the entire day exploring it. The garden owes its name and indeed its creation to the son and heir of Charles III, which of course is Charles IV, who in the 1770s began using Ferdinand VI's old pier. Now, the pier is on the river Targus. Now, the Targus River runs alongside the Prince's Garden. And to just give you an idea of how huge the garden is, it covers 150 hectares, and the perimeter fence of the garden is seven kilometres long. Seven kilometres. And really, it's a garden of gardens. It encapsulates eight gardens in various different styles you have a chinese garden you have a french gardens english gardens and really 
unlike the palace gardens, it's not one of these immaculately geometrically laid out uh, gardens of little privet hedges and rose bushes. It really is a woodland and uh, you can see a huge array of exotic trees here. As I mentioned at the beginning of the podcast, when the garden was laid out, something like 300,000 trees were planted and these were trees of course which were brought from well pretty much all over the world and walking around you really get a sense of the botanical richness of the garden I suppose very green very lush very shady and apparently was directly influenced by Marie Antoinette's gardens at the Petit Trianon in Versailles so there you go you've got the French connection again and in fact, just going back to talking about the scale of gardens, um, it's one of the largest in Spain, and I believe it's the largest enclosed garden in the world. But the Prince's Garden also has another claim to fame. Now, the music that you heard at the beginning of the podcast and the music that I've weaved in and out during the episode, this music... Well, that piece, very recognisable. I'm sure many of you have heard that piece of music before. It's actually called El Concierto de Aranjuez, the Concert of Aranjuez. And that was composed in 1939 by Joaquín Rodrigo. Now, Rodrigo took his inspiration for that piece of music from this garden. And in fact, Rodrigo was blinded after he suffered a diphtheria attack when he was just three years old. And he wanted this piece of music uh, to depict the aural and olfactory pleasures that the uh, Prince's Garden gave him. And he wanted it to reflect the fragrance of the magnolia trees, of which I've seen many uh, walking around this part of the park, and the singing of the birds and the gushing of the fountains. And in fact, there are many lakes and ponds and fountains all around the park. And for any jazz aficionados out there, you might also know this piece of music better, uh, the version by Miles Davis in 1959. He produced a version of El Concierto de Aranjuez on his album Sketches of Spain, which I highly recommend. And it's got that very evocative red and yellow album cover. So go and give that a listen if you want a slice of Spain-infused jazz. Okay then, so that's a little flavour of Aranjuez. I highly recommend it. Just one other thing, uh, if you're new to the podcast and maybe you weren't sure, When in Spain is on Instagram. You can follow When in Spain on Instagram. The handle is When in Spain 1. Uh, there is a When in Spain Facebook group as well. And also, important to mention, there is a When in Spain website, which is whenispainpodcast.com. Go and check it out. If you do enjoy the podcast, do consider signing up to become a When in Spain patron. It really does make a huge amount of difference. And I would greatly appreciate it so that will just about do it for this episode plenty more coming your way very soon plenty of spain in your ears i've got plenty of guests lined up some really good guests as well actually which i'm really looking forward to bringing you guys i won't say anything at the moment but uh, stay tuned for that so thanks for joining me on my trip to aranjuez hope you enjoyed it until the next time hasta luego